I want to welcome you to the new Drag Champ Show. The three amigos are leading this show, none other than Jake Hodge, Mr. Hoodrich, Ryan Gleghorn, and Gary Don Free, Mr. Drag Champ himself. Now, I wouldn't ride to the store with these three yahoos, but you put them together for some good old stories, some racing news, some results from all over the world. Now, that's a party you just don't want to miss, so let's tune in, let's hang on, and let's get it on. I want to welcome you to the Drag Champ Show. So with us uh, on the Drag Champ Show on this wonderful Wednesday evening in the middle of quarantine is uh, a guy that many have seen work his, you know, fingers to the bone and run a crew as hard as he can. But lately, he's that no good son of a bitch that won't get off the tractor. Um, Tyler Crossno, <laughs> uh, the manager of Virginia Motorsports Park. Um, how's it going, man? Ah, man, I, I'm all right. Now, I'm really depressed these days. Uh, the quarantine's kind of kept me off my tractor, but I still make my daily laps. Well, I was I was going to thank you for taking the time to turn the tractor off or at least down to idle and put it in park just for a little bit to join us this evening. I know that, you know, you have nothing better to do than ride around on a tractor. Exactly. You, you just do it to make people miserable. But uh, let's go ahead and nip that in the bud real quick. I know you. I, I know that you will send you will not send somebody down a racetrack that is 80 <clears> percent <throat> you won't send somebody on the racetrack it's 95 percent whenever you know it's capable of 100 yes we're not running radio versus the world but there are cars dialed 4.0 x okay and i know that a 690 nine inch tire car is kind of tricky it's not like it goes down the racetrack every time i i tried to defend you i, I kind of just tried to let you know what was going on on facebook because you were busy riding the tractor around. But what do you say to that? Like, how do you, like, nobody has any clue what it takes to even make that happen. Yeah, that's, that was one of those deals that it was going to be a sour deal either way. Um, we all kind of laughed about it after it was over. The same thing happened in 2019. And um, the funniest part is nobody knew about it. Uh, that was a deal <laughs> that we were, well, I'm going to say we. I was not there, but. My crew was there at 2.30 in the morning, um, scraping the racetrack. I rolled in about 5.30 to 6, jumped straight on the tractor, and started prepping the lane they had already scraped. And we would, so we rolled in, and we put three hours of prep time on it, and boom, we're ready to go at 9 o'clock. And everybody wakes up at 8 o'clock, and they see a tractor rolling, but they didn't see six hours of scraping. <laughs> well, as soon as it all happened this year, I'm like, oh, great. Here comes six or seven hours of scraping, and it's 70 degrees outside. Perfect. We look like a bunch of dumbasses, but it was one of those deals that I knew we could have, we could have spread the process up. I'm not going to lie about it. We could have, but if we would have spread the process up, you would have got half a race on Thursday or on Friday, maybe one round, maybe two rounds. And you, then you would have had a piss poor racetrack on Saturday and you wouldn't have gotten as far as you did in that race. So then it would have been, oh, we raced on a crap racetrack. It was unsafe. They didn't take the time to get it right. I went down a racetrack that was spinning on the top end and we only got two rounds in each day because they had to stop every 14 pair and prep it again or whatever. I was red because of the racetrack. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Red because of the racetrack, the, yeah. the shine on the top end threw me off or something like that. But that was one of those deals where I just had to make the decision of, okay, turn the internet off. Um, go do what you know is right. Keep the racer safe. And at the end of the day, you can lay your head down on the pillow and say, okay, I didn't fold a race car up because of a racetrack. If somebody went out and they lost a uh, lost a radiator hose, and we had that happen, guy lost radiator hose at thousand foot on a racetrack, and knocked it in the wall. Not his fault, not our fault, but just a freak racetrack race car incident. 
but that was one of those deals that I could lay my head down at night and know that I didn't do that. That was not my fault. I'm sure it just um, had water in it too, right? Do what? I'm sure it just had water in it too, right? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. It was just water with a <laughs> case of Bud Light and a side <laughs> side piece of Presto. Like, but it, that was you know that that's a hard way to to now we sit here at in the first of April and say, oh great, you know that's the last time you put a race car down a racetrack was that race where you got bashed on the internet. But I, I've been at the the brunt of a lot of that stuff before, so that's really nothing new to me. Um, I will say it was new for a bracket race deal to get, <laughs> but, um, I knew when I laid my head down at night that everybody was safe under my watch. And that's, that's my main job is to keep everybody safe. If we get the race done and we, we get to the, where we're supposed to be, that's a great job. Yeah. But on, on, in our defense and in the promoter's defense, I'll be dead honest, 500 cars and a round of buybacks in March is very difficult. Um, you can try Anywhere. that you want in March. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Uh, I'll send you the notebook that I've got of notes that have worked for us. If you want to try that from anywhere, Virginia or just a couple hours South or a couple hours North, uh, I'll send you the notebook because it's a lengthy one and it's very stressful, but we did our best. That's all we could do. Like I said, no, no race cars were, were damaged after we made the decision to do what we did and um, had a lot of cars that were running, running big ETs and, and big times starting Saturday morning all the way to when we got rain uh, Saturday around 9.45 or 10 o'clock. Uh, I think we were in fifth or sixth round. So you and I have had conversations at length, you know, if, you know, your job is something that I had looked to do at one point. You know, I wanted a job somewhere like Virginia Motorsports Park, which there's like three places in the world that could happen at. So probably a little smaller. And, you know, we had that conversation during drag week, mm -hmm. um, which Ryan and I were both in attendance of and we had that you know when we first got there before drag week started and i'm sitting there going to bed in my motor home and i just hear a fucking tractor just all night long and i sit there and i'm like i'd, I'd want his job but somebody's gonna have to drive the tractor at, at three o'clock in the morning and it, but at the end of the week when bailey went 98 or 99 whatever he went the instant like look of relief that you showed like that was like an all-time gratitude thing i think you know it there's no better way to, you know, pound your chest than just prove results, right? Yeah, and, oh, 100%. And, and that's the, you know, people have certain jobs, in certain jobs that you can have, whether you're a bartender or a drag strip manager or a professional athlete or whatever, there's every job has its positives. Um, you just have to find that positive. Uh, whether you're a writer and you get to write about somebody's successes over the weekend, um, whether you're a bartender and somebody says they're the best drinks in town, what, whatever that job is. Um, for a drag strip manager, it's when somebody goes out and runs a personal best. Uh, if they happen to break a national record in the process, eh, I'll be dang, I'll take that. But, you know, that's where, that's where we have to find that. Um, I tell my guys that work on the starting line, work on the burnout box. You know, when you see a, a crew that's jumping up and down, high-fiving, you know, that may look like just a lackluster run to you. I mean, you may have seen bracket cars that are faster, but to them that may have been, may have been their best run they've ever made. Um, you know, give that guy a high-five shake his hand, tell him thanks for coming and all that. And then when Bailey went out and went 599 at 250 at drag week, uh, the last day, that was after a tough week for us. I mean, we started the weekend. You were, you guys got to see it firsthand. We started the weekend <laughs> yeah. Saturday, or Sunday with, with rain, uh, started Monday with rain, uh, finished up, got Monday done. They all, then we sent them on along the way for the week. And then um, when you guys came back for, for Friday, we got rain again. And um, we fought the racetrack all freaking day long. 
I knew after about a couple of hours it was going to come around and then Bailey rolled up at the end and we had, we had talked about it, Tom and I had, we've been good friends for a long time about how, how close it could be to getting that. The, the weather conditions came around. I mean, it was kind of a perfect storm after the weather. Um, we knew if we could keep the racetrack together at that point, then it would be good. Uh, luckily when it did subside, we got sun for about four hours and it warmed up real nice. So we had great temperatures to help us dry it. And it actually dried out the rubber, which we didn't have at loose rocker when it was 52 degrees outside. But that really took us to a point on the racetrack where I knew we had a solid chance at it. Uh, Tom went six Oh seven and um, got in the high side chip on the big end. And I told one of my main guys at the racetrack, I said, look, it's probably going to happen. I, I said, if it doesn't go five ninety nine, it's going to go six Oh one, six Oh two, something like that. And um, through the day we had taken our time and really gone up there, kind of kept an eye on him just because we knew, Hey, Bailey's 10 pair back, five pair back, whatever. And we made the mistake on the first, on the second run. Uh, we went out and pr- actually drug the racetrack and kind of tightened it back up, knowing that he was coming. Um, that actually was a bad play for us. Um, we actually tightened the racetrack up, and it stopped the tire and actually shook. And um, It shook hard. It shook hard. <laughs> yeah. and, um, I felt it. I wasn't even in the car. Yeah. And we were uh, – that was one thing that I said. I was just like, you know what? We all rolled up. He was the last car down in, in, the, in the drag week competition before it went into the challenges. And everybody looked at me. They're like, hey, Bailey's 10 pair back. And I remember saying on the radio, just send the race car up here. Don't don't worry about the racetrack. Don't just keep running race cars. The way the racetrack was that day, it was super tight in the middle. Um, that's what that car needs. It, it needs it out in the middle. It really doesn't need it on the starting line with him just trying to walk it off the line co- in comparative terms to a, a car of that stature trying to go five seconds in the quarter. Um, <laughs> his stuff was really trying to pour on the coals into 330. And if we got it too tight up front, it was stopping the tire like we did earlier in the day. So we just brought him up, put him right in the water. And um, I can remember Tommy Franklin, the owner of VMP, was helping Morris, uh, Steve Morris, engine builder, back the car up, put him in put him in the groove and everything. And I remember Tommy looking at me going, all right, last chance. Hope you didn't screw this up. And he walked off. I'm like, <laughs> and um, everybody looked at me. And they're like, well, what do you think? I'm like, well, thinking's over. Turn loose yeah. the button. We'll see what happens. And um, – I, I remember I, I drove down the center of the racetrack. I mean, it was the last car down. I, I drove down the center of the racetrack with a safety four-wheeler, um, went down, took a picture of the scoreboard, and went off the top end. And Tom was down there, and the first thing he said was he didn't say, man, that was badass. He didn't say nothing. He just looked me square in the face, and he said, I knew I could drive it when it went to the center line because I knew you prepped all the way all the way across the racetrack. And at that point, I was like, you know what, that's pretty cool for, for a guy that just set drag week history, was the first of the fives, did all that he's done, and he looks at me and gives me props for, for my job, which, I mean, we're just doing our job. But for him to do that in that moment was, was very, very moving for me. Um, I remember bringing him back up the chase road um, in front of the grandstands and um, everybody getting their pictures, and that's really the picture that's gone gone viral was Dominic D'Amato's shot of Bailey's hand out the window, and you can see the scoreboard shot in the background. Um, that That's a really – that's a moving shot for me. Um, I have that in a – two two foot by three foot print in my office um got one in my office one in race control now so that's that was special for us and then the very next week less than a week later um we set the national record on radials with marcus burt um tommy went 362 with a nitrous car which was the pro nitrous record at the time number of records at shakedown and it was it was one of those 14 day spans where you couldn't knock the smile off my face <laughs> i was pumped up i didn't sleep at night I, I was just in one of those things. I was in one of those moods where it really didn't matter what happened. I felt like I could get my way out of anything. 
I, I was confident in everything that was going on. I was confident in my team. I was confident in my racetrack. And it was one of those one of those fourteen day spans where it was like, you know what? If you want to go fast, come see me because we're on a roll right now. Yeah, and, and Ryan and I borrowed the the diesel truck there a couple of times, and yep, I got in it. And I'm like, he doesn't leave. Like there was, I mean, I mean, there was McDonald's wrappers just like here, there, and everywhere, and like sweet teacups or whatever you drink, and we're like. Yeah, this is, yeah, he lives here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he's we go like, to bed, we go to bed. He's there. We wake up, he's already there, driving his fucking tractor. That damn tractor. That yeah. was that was really cool. Uh, just for me on my side of track management, it's like, man, like I think we do a really good job of Armor Dragway, especially for what we have. And then I watched you on Dragway. I'm like, man, we don't do shit. <laughs> I'm a lazy motherfucker compared to this guy. But it it was That's really impressive. Oh yeah, yeah I mean. Ryan, Ask anyone that knows me. Ryan woke up from his nap to watch Bailey go five ninety nine. Okay, and he was getting paid for it. <laughs> but I didn't. I'm not, I did not see it. I'm not gonna. I, I plead the fifth. Yeah, but it was really cool just to see the what you and Tommy have put together there at VMP. It's always been a top notch establishment, but what y'all have done moving forward. I mean, I've been. I think my last count, I was like fifty seven racetracks or something, and it's easily the most impressive I've seen. You Norwalk and Bristol is where I've got y'all at. That is a uh, that's a that's a very high high praise and man that that means a lot to us. Um, I, I did a podcast or live feed video the other day, and um, somebody said, "What's the one racetrack or, or racetrack person you look up to?" It's, I, it's an easy choice for me. It's Bill Bader. Um, oh yeah. I, I mean, if you, I, I tell people all the time, if you model anything that you do after Bill Bader, at some point in life, it's going to find success. Yeah. Um, he's been successful for so many years, and and I look at a lot of things that he does. And I watch a lot of stuff that they do. And it's not really just trying to figure out, oh, I'm going to piggyback his stuff or piggyback his ideas. But even just down to the fact of, you know, host hotels and and finding out, hey, where's your local spot? Where's the good place to go eat? And it finds its way on the website. Yeah. Even if it's just little <laughs> stuff like that, I feel like that goes a long way with customers. Yeah, we, we had Evan Bader on and it's not been released yet. But, you know, we've had a com- we had the conversation of, how quietly they do things so well, right? So, like, we, we see Motor Mania and Speed Video at VMP every other weekend, right? Uh, I, that's, that's what I feel. It's there, they're there a lot. Yes. But I've never seen a live stream at Southern Motorsports Park. And, you know, Evan and I had had the conversation a while back, and he said, why? He, he said, you know, right now what we've got is we've got a really strong bracket racing community. We've got, you know, uh, a couple really big shows, and he said it works for us. And and that's true, but you know, on the side that that we don't really think about is everybody watches the work you and your crew put in, and that makes me want to go race there, right? But Norwalk, they their summit, they they just do it silently, and like you turn around and you're like, that's you know, they've got a guy, you give him a dollar, he gives you a towel to take a shower. Yeah, like you don't. Where do you see that ever? You know, and you don't. I mean. It's not a, it's not a, I know you don't compare you two at all, but I, I see the drive that you've gotten, the drive that Bill Bader has had and, and Evan now. And like, there's a way to run a racetrack and you guys are writing the book. And I mean, it was, I can remember the first time I went to Norwalk, I went with Daniel Ferris. We went up and ran an MCA there. Um, I remember the first time I went, and I was like, this is the place. Um, I took my Ultra Street car there in 2017 and went and ran Shakedown. And it's kind of funny now that I'm promoting shakedown. But at that time I was just like, I didn't get to race a lot. I was traveling doing track prep. And that was an event where um, 
Kurt Johnson was prepping. Um, so you knew the racetrack was going to be good. And then I went up there and I'm just like, Hey, hang on. This is going to be like a race where I can just go and have fun. Uh, Josh Ledford flew up and tuned my race car for me. We did a lot of stuff that weekend that was impressive. Um, the most, the one thing I remember out of that whole entire weekend was, um, at, I think it was Friday night, Bill Bader called myself, Josh, Ron Rhodes, uh, Rich Bruder, and somebody else. I think it was Mark Woodruff and Mark Mickey. I think it was us six. Called us all a tower. We sat down under on a picnic table underneath the grandstands. He had six beers sitting there. He looked us all in the face, and he goes, all right, tell me why nobody's here. No, tell me why none of these racers are supporting us. And it was like, how many times have you seen that? Like, I, I've been to a lot of races, to a lot of racetracks, helped with a lot of races, and I've never once seen the owner of a facility call certain racers up and go, all right, what, what's the deal? Well, why are people not coming? What, like, what can we do to make it better? And that, at that moment was when I said, all right, this guy's doing something right. Even though if he's not in the news, he's not in the tabloids every, every week or on the live streams or national television or whatever, he's doing something right. And that really took hold to me. Uh, as a promoter, as a person, and, and as I grew since, since that point from racer to promoter and all that and just wore more hats and, and gained more experience, that that relationship has gotten stronger. I talk to Bill probably twice, three times a week now. Um, Evan, just about the same. Uh, Evan actually came and announced one year at my Outlaw Street Car Union event. Um, I, I've, I cherish that relationship very, very seriously, and um, I look forward to working with with Bill uh, for the first time this year with PDRA uh, going to Norwalk in June and then on future projects in the, in the future. Oh yeah. Like the future projects, like we can't tell you yet, but we got I a lot of big you, stuff yeah. coming. Um, I can tell you too much. See that. And that's, that's where I was going with that. Like if Bill Bader wants to put up a light way above FAA regulations, he's going to put up a light way above FAA regulations. He's, he's going to do it. What I don't know is, how like Evan, we had a conversation that like his grandpa like started, he bought the racetrack in like 74 or something. He said, you know, they would eat leftover food at a concession stand through the winter. That's like the ultimate, like that's, there's a movie made about that somewhere. Oh yeah. As you said, you know, he, he would sit down with you and, and you know, Hey, have a beer or whatever. What's, what's going on instead. Like these days you get promoters hop on the live stream and ready to just, you know, F all these racers, this, or B, just slash prices to where nobody wants to go race anywhere else because it's stupid not to. And, you know, once you make what, I mean, once you make your product so cheap, you can get away with it being cheap and that's only going to last for so long. And I think that, you know, you and Bill and you guys do a lot of, a lot of good in recognizing that, you know, if it's, if it's good, they're going to pay for good. If it's subpar, they're going to deal with subpar for just a little while and it's going to be great. It's gotta, it's gotta be great. Yep. Because even when it's great, they're going to bitch about something. I have said for a long time, <laughs> I mean a long time, that you could do a race for a million dollars. You could open it up to as many people as you wanted, give a free entry fee, free buybacks if it's a bracket race. Somebody's going to bitch about where they got to park. <laughs> yep. Or not, or cut the power boxes open. Or cut the power box open. Don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> it's been three weeks. I'm still fixing the power box. Oh, so, man. I don't know when you took over, um, but I raced the last turkey trot race, whatever we call it, Thanksgiving race, before it got repaved. Yeah, that was October 17, um, yeah. when Tommy bought. Uh, they repaved February of 18, and then I moved uh, December of 18. Right. I drove Lotz's car there that Thanksgiving, and 
I mean, the track wasn't in terrible shape, but whenever Tommy bought it, but it it needed a lot, and I was I was surprised to see really the way how far it has actually come when I went back there for drag week. But I go up there and I'm like, man, it is cold, and I'm on in this race tech on fucking Hoosiers. Okay, I'm no worse than seven and make six runs down the racetrack. Don't turn on a wind light. And but I go up there and I'm like, man, this thing's gonna go like. 70 something and i don't think it's gonna go down the racetrack because it's probably 38 degrees it's cold i mean sure enough it shook the mandrel off of it but it wasn't because of the racetrack but like the the first race was a loose rocker race right after it was repaved it was like two weeks maybe yes it was barely above freezing barely above freezing i think so alan was there was still there at that time um i think the highest it got was like 53 or 54 other than that, it was that was the highest temperature they had in four days. Yeah, that's crazy. So give us give us a little rundown about you as a as a bracket racer, though. I, I know that you're a promoter. You do some bracket racing every now and then. Yep. Um, even though you've been too cool for us, and you've been like ah dang the crew shorts and tall black socks is what you're what you're into now with the heads up guys. Yeah. Um, Heel tech shirt. <laughs> but but you got a little twang in you, and it's not from Virginia. So kind of just give us a rundown of you know Tyler Crossno, the human being, not the guy in the tractor. Yeah, I uh, I grew up in a little town called Bells in Tennessee. I actually started bracket racing when I was fifteen. Uh, drove my dad's '69 Camaro, had a 540 big block in it with an 871 BDS supercharger. Was a freaking tank. Everything was numbers matching except for the powertrain. Uh, it still had the seats in it. So the wood grain steering wheel, I mean, it was, everything was there. Uh, that was my first bracket car. Went First pass down the racetrack went 605, uh, 112. Um, wheels hanging in the air, shifting into high gear as soon as the front end set down. That was probably the most, one of the most fun cars I ever got to drive. Um, it was also the most nerve wracking one, being that my dad bought that car in 1992 whenever I was born. Um, so I knew how much that car meant to him. If, if I did something as a driver that was wrong, um, I knew how much that meant to him. Uh, we ended up trading that car for a 67 Chevy 2. Um, that was probably the car that most people got to know me in. Um, that's kind of when I was starting the racetrack side of the world. Um, I was driving that car. Uh, it was a 530 door car, two chassis deal, uh, 565 big block. My dad and I built. We had that car whenever he passed away of cancer. Um, I built that car back, put that car back together, ran it for probably six, seven months after he had passed, had the absolute best five months of drag racing I'd ever set in a race car. My mom and I would go after he passed away. It did not matter what racetrack I pulled into. It didn't matter what day of the week it was. It was going to go 536 and you put it on the dialing board and you didn't touch it. That was, that car was deadly for those five months. Um, I can remember the worst finish I had um, in five months. And, and during this time I was racing every week. I, I'd left my job at Memphis um, I told my mom something told me I, I needed to go left. Race. Yeah, left. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I needed to go. Uh, I needed to go race for the rest of the year just to clear my head, get my mind right, and focus on my future. Once take that time to figure out my future. Drove for those five months, and the worst finish I had was quarters. I think that was the worst I'd done. Um, never won during that time, but I was down to eight every time I freaking pulled in the parking lot. Um, that was the car I got my first win in, everything like that. Um, since then I've owned four other race cars, 68 Camaro, uh, O2 Camaro. That was an LS powered deal. Um, uh, the Mustang that I ran ultra street with, 
And then now oh, that was uh, a bad fast ultra street car. Too. That was a good hot rod. <laughs> yeah, I tell yeah. people all the time, I'm like, man, you know what? If there's one car I could have back, it'd be that. One. Um, we came out of the box with that thing. Had some quietly, quite, yeah, really, really quickly. Uh, bought the car from John Calivas um, in November. We debuted in February uh, with with the ultra street deal. Bought an engine combination from him. First race out of the gate, we went to number three qualifier. Got down to the semis in that. And then ran that car for a year and a half. Had a guy out of Florida come up and buy it. Just at the racetrack. Walked up at Donald's race. We had hurt the motor. Um, it was a brand new bullet. I was kind of dejected. I was just in one of them, hey, gum it. We done hurt a brand new motor. What the heck's going on? I was there. Found yeah. out that it was the crankshaft was actually a little bit longer, and we didn't clearance the ProCharger spacers right. And um, it chewed up the bear, main bearings in the motor. That was pretty much it. But it was just one of those deals where you're like, you unload, um, nobody was going down a racetrack on Wednesday. Um, that, this was the, this was actually the last race we had with the car. Um, nobody's going down a racetrack on Wednesday. We roll out there, um, move, move the weight package around. We really took a lot of time in the off season to, to figure out weight packages and worked with Mark Mincer a lot on his stuff, roll out, turn loose the button. We're the only car on testing on Wednesday to go down the racetrack, checked it off at the three thirty, uh, fresh motor. I'm like, all right, cool. Check it off three thirty. Let's, let's coast on down. And uh, went 481 at like 112. I'm like, oh, money. We got a hot ride. Well, every run it slowed down just because it was eating itself up. That was kind of dejecting. Uh, sold that car site right at the racetrack. I mean, put it in the man trailer for him. He tied it down, <laughs> but I put it in the trailer for him. Um, came back home, went back to work, just kind of said, you know what, I'm, I'm done driving. I just didn't feel it. At that point, I chewed up two motors, and I was just like, you know what? I'm dejected. I don't want to be around a race car. That was like that was like lights out 2018. 18. Right? Yep. Yeah. That was that was a dejecting time in my driving career. I, that's when I said I'm probably going to be done unless I find the right car. <laughs> Welcome to Ryan and I every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Story of all our lives, probably. But I was uh, – I, I remember I was driving home from a job. I can't remember where I was working, but I remember I was driving home from a job, and I was – doing something I should not have been. I was scrolling through Facebook and um, drag race results classified popped up a little notification on the top of my phone. It said 69 Camaro for sale. Like, hmm, 69 Camaro sends me a notification. Let's see what this is. The click it, the car's based out of Mexico. Really cool family. It is ex- almost exact carbon copy of my dad's car. Um, my dad's car was an SS. This car is a hideaway headlight car. Less than 24 hours later, I was in the truck on the way to San Antonio with a bunch of $100 bills and brought home a 69 Camaro. Uh, it was a small block car when I bought it. It's set at home. I was booked every week from that point um, all the way to October. So I didn't have any weeks off. I, I was like, look, I don't really care. I got the car that I've been looking for. I, I tried to buy my dad's car back, never got the opportunity to. So I said, you know what? Who's I'm got pull it? The so I pulled the trigger, bought that thing. And um, had one rain out, and um, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to load this thing up and go to Memphis. Uh, I raced at Memphis since my dad passed. I, I mean, I, I just kind of stayed away from that place. Went down there. I never double-entered before in my life. Uh, I was always kind of like the one-entry guy. I, I was like, man, why the, I'm not beating on my stuff. Well, I wrote <laughs> that there and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy two entries. I'm going to run the dog mess off this thing. I'm only going to get to run one more time of the year. I remember we rolled out, ran that thing. I ne- it had never been down the racetrack since I bought it. Um, unloaded, went 668, came right back around, filled it up at the at the pits, rolled it right back to the lanes, and uh, next pass down went 668. I'm like, hmm, 
all right, we may have a hot rod. <laughs> Dad approves. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, all right, well, let's see what this thing does. Uh, surely to goodness the wheels will fall off of it or something. Roll back up for the – we took in, – in the program there, they give two time trials. And uh, we rolled back up, made two hits. Both of them were 668. I looked at uh, I looked at Cody Graham. He was there with me. Cody and I go back for a lot of years bracket racing. I looked at Cody. I said, I think I'm going to put a 68 on the window. Just something tells me that it should yeah. probably be a 68. I don't know why. <laughs> and uh, I can remember we took two entries to third round and then took fourth round. Took two entries to fourth, lost one there, and then went all the way to quarters, I think, with the other one. And um, that's the only time I've raced the car. Uh, since then, I've blasted it apart, um, found some chassis issues that really could have been fine. But the last thing I wanted to do was lose a car that looks like my dad's. So I, I kind of parked it for a little while. I sent it to Lonnie Grimm's shop in Arkansas. He's completely fixed all the four-link stuff, uh, new anti-roll, new four-link bars, stiffened up the chassis, made it a lot better car. Uh, he's in, currently in the process of rewiring it. Uh, Pat Musi just finished a 565 for me. Uh, Mark Mickey did two transmissions, uh, freshened up two transitions for me that I had from my old Chevy 2. And uh, Joe, Tor Joe at Pro Torque uh, put me together a, a custom converter. So we're getting on the finishing stages of it. We hope to have that thing back. Uh, or actually have it in Virginia. Uh, I, I hate to say have it back. I, it's never even seen Virginia. But um, <laughs> hope to, hope you're going to spoil it, huh? Spoil yeah, it first pass down. Probably uh, if we can get it over here during the during the downtime, um, fix that line. He's not traveling due to uh, due to this stuff as well. So he's got a lot of shop time. So hopefully he can finish that thing up. And um, I think Tommy's actually going to drive it some during the during the points program and stuff like that. So be a fun little car for us to play around with. One of the most underrated dudes out there in the bracket racing world, Cody Graham. Yes, sir. Hundred percent. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Steady stacking. Yeah, man. That was that was some good days. Um, Cody, myself, uh, his wife Cricket. She raced um, before she had Knox and Gannon here recently. Um, Todd Johnson uh, and his little son Devin had run juniors. Uh, man, we all ran around, and I can remember we. We all got together at Halloween one year, and um, I-22 in Alabama had a 10-grander. It was a one-day 10-grander, $100 entry. And I begged my dad for two weeks going, man, can, can, we, uh, can we go? Can we go? He's like, man, we ain't going to that. My dad was not a big money guy. He was like, 1200 bucks. you can figure out how to spend 1200 so, so, like, 10 grand to him was like, man, you, you, yeah, you're good. You don't stand a chance over there. And um, <laughs> I was like, next time. Yeah, I was like, well, next time. So we find, I got Cody on the hook, and I was like, Cody, you need to talk about that. Like, get him talked into it. Let's all go. So Cody, myself, uh, Brian Robinson, um, used to work at BTE. Yeah. Bad dude. Um, bad hot rod. And uh, Michael Harville. We all piled up. Harville. And um, all uh, and Rusty Ashmore. I forgot Rusty went with us. Bad dude. We took five. We took five door cars over there, or four door cars and a dragster. Of course, Cody had to be the one guy with the dragster, but. We rolled over there. I remember they had, I think, 150, 160 in top. And um, get down to nine cars, and all five of us are still in. And it's like, yeah, they hate us. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt in, in my mind. They hate us. So we're down to nine, and I see the weirdest thing. This is the most weird thing I've ever seen from a racetrack. I've been to – You're all think, paired up. I think loans and I – oh, no, it gets better. The mm. so loans and I – have been going back and forth with the racetracks. I think I'm up to like 90-something. He's – yeah, he don't even get to count because he's serious to travel. But we pull in the lanes at nine cars. The guy walked up to me and says, hey, man, you got to buy. Hmm. Got to buy at nine. I'll take I it. I know where this is headed. 
look here, dude. I look around, and I'm like, hang on. Why are there six other guys that have the bike? Yep. They take it to eight cars. Exactly well, two, eight. Exactly eight cars. Yep. And the two that had to run, Cody Graham, Brian Robinson. All <laughs> oh, that's messed up. I'm that like, well, of course, stupid. my dad's in, in, in his own little world. He's like, man, we got to buy it now. I, I told him, and I'm in the car going, I, I remember pulling my helmet down going, Dad, you got to buy it nine, but there's going to be eight. Like, come on. And uh, so I remember Cody lost that round. And um, so it was me, Brian, Jared Pennington was still in, uh, Harville was still in, Rusty Ashman was still in. We So we had four of the eight. Cody Graham was hot. I mean, what? like, Coke label what? hot. I mean, mad as could be. What in the – what in the – how the fuck is that even possible? Oh, oh, no. Oh, yeah, buddy. Hey, this is an Alabama thing, as I've learned. Because I went to Laster Mountain last year, and the same fucking thing happened. They come up to – I was with Barnhart and Quick and all of them, and they come up to Barnhart telling me he's got the buy. I'm like, fuck, yeah, bye. And then they come Hashtag up and Hashtag next gen. And then they tell five other people they got the buy. And someone had to inform me how this happened. And oh yeah! I went on the biggest rant of how that is the dumbest, and I don't like bashing racetracks at all. That is not my thing because I run one, and I know what it's like to get bashed. But what the actual fuck? <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah, you are not like I'm telling you. The same thing happened. I'm in the car going, and I was one of those guys that like my dad owned the car. Like I helped him, you know. I would buy stuff and stuff like that. But when it came down to the money, I'm like, look, you handle the money. I, I'll go drive the race car. Let me do the same thing I've done every round. You go handle the money talks. I don't really give a crap what you do. And um, he comes back over. He goes, man, you got to buy. I'm like, cool. He goes, but you got to get in this line. I'm like, well, why am I in a line if I got to buy? What What does it matter? And the whole time in the back of my mind, I'm going, dude, I was like eight. If I've got to buy at nine with an eight, I just need to soften up and just go, go drive a race car, I guess. And all of a sudden, they all start pulling us out one at a time. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, they made y'all run single files. Yes, See, they, sir. Single. No, file. we had run our buy runs next to each other. Oh no, single file. <laughs> oh, we wanted to get one lane real offset. I'm telling you. <laughs> but, but getting it down to eight, isn't that like because they want to speed the program up? I don't. I no, no. No, the that's money. not why they want to do that. It was something about the money. It was like they paid. They said they paid eight cars, and I'm like, well, okay, cool. I, I, in the back of my mind, no kidding, I said, damn, that's a promoter's dream. You go down to nine, you only got to pay two quarters, one semi, one and runner up. Cool. Y'all came out like a rose. <laughs> so we're going to eight. I'm like, so is that the first time you ever, you ever had to buy at nine and then lost at eight? Yeah. <laughs> Dead serious. Rolled up there, had to run. Brian Robinson the next round. I'm like, son of a gun. And of course, they paired up Mikey and Rusty, me and Harville, or me and Brian Robinson. And then they're other local guys ran on the other side. I'm like, this is rigged. <laughs> Jared Pennington ends up winning it. And it's still it's definitely going, rigged then. Yeah. <laughs> going off the bottom war, every one of us top bowl boys slam out. And I can remember still talking to him about it to this day going, Jared, what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah. But it was funny because that was – it was Halloween weekend. Um, Alabama was playing football. And I was like, man, that's Jared Pennington. I was just some no-name kid that – was driving a door car that was way too fast for him to drive. And I'm like, man, that's Jared Pennington. Well, I can remember in the lanes, I rolled up and I was like, hey, J Mr. Pennington, it's nice to meet you. He goes, my name's Jared, son, but hang on just a second. 
and he reached down in the center console of the car and turned the radio up because Alabama was playing football and was listening to the game in the race car. I'm like, <laughs> that's guy. I like this guy. So, yeah. so is there a new uh, new bracket program structure at VMP coming up? No. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> because I'm going to tell you, if I can take that and I go, man, I only got to pay eight and I'm going to go to five next year, I'm going to take that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I, I think every be. track could take that except uh, maybe one or two, it sounds like. Yeah, I one think- or two are going to say nah. <laughs> no, we want exactly eight. Okay, that's it. It's, it's the weirdest moment of my life. What do you do? You just get down to nine. You start t- playing rock paper scissors to figure out who the two are going to race each other. Two worst I, on the tree. Yep, the two worst on the tree got to run each other. Yep. Yep. So, hilarious. This is at Cody Graham. Stop sucking. There yes. <laughs> that was a. I'll never forget it because he goes. He goes. Well, guess I learned something tonight the hell are you talking about like you know I, I mean i've never seen you say you learned something when you went out at nine and we all went back for eight like this is new and he goes yep when the guy beside you goes red don't bump it down because you're gonna be at the bottom of the ladder <laughs> <laughs> like damn all right <laughs> but you you named a lot of people there who i think are really impressive race car drivers that get like no love Oh, like Rusty Ashmore's been Ooh. killing five and ten grinders around Memphis and Holly yep. Springs, Bowling Green, Bowling Green. Since exactly. I was little, and that dude gets no love. Nobody ever talks about him. No, not a bit. And I used to say, whenever we would pull in the lanes at Memphis, I, I can I'll never forget it. Everybody went in the left lane. I don't don't tell me why, but the first two cars in the in the left lane were going to be Rusty Ashmore, Buddy Farrell. Mark Meadows is right behind him. Yep. Uh, God rest his soul. Uh, Larry Meadows was right behind Mark. Mm-hmm. And all these guys are lined up, and nobody's in the right lane. Well, guess who the one dumb butt who could only see out of, out of the left side of his door car was? Yep. You. That's me. <laughs> so, so you I got to see a whole lot, whole yes, lot of Firebird and a whole lot of Camaro. Whole lot of Camaro, whole lot of red dragster says Buddy Farrell transmission service on the window. And I oh, still yeah. remember seeing somebody right here going, you – effed up that's all i can still see it right now yep yeah i'm recording this right now from somerville so i completely understand <laughs> yes you do oh um, yeah um i'm in the Indiana. days when i can remember telling people if you could go to memphis or holly springs and win a drag race in a bracket in top bottom it didn't matter um if you went and what could win at the local level in that area you could go anywhere you wanted and win a drag race yeah i and didn't it, care it, who you pulled in the lanes with if you won at those racetracks and you were competitive, you could go anywhere on the planet and go brackers. Oh, yeah, because it's not just Rusty and Buddy. You got to worry about it. You got the Bobo family. Yep. I was going to say the Bobos run around hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bobos are super tough. Parble, I mean, I like to joke around with Mikey because the first time I watched him race the stage with the back tire. But, <laughs> <laughs> but funny he story. Can, I was running can... the computer. <laughs> oh, man. No. So the first time I've actually met him was last year at Axford's race. And I I think I'd saw him at Southern Footbreak Challenge a year before or whatever. And he rolls up his first time run and he did a burnout across the start line, which I was like, dude, you're going like six twenties. What are you doing? And he backed up, but he didn't back up just far enough. And he started bumping in and Jabbo was working the start line and he had to go like, hey man, he's just laughing his ass off like, hey, you gotta back up. And I wore him out Friday, Saturday and Sunday over the microphone about that. About that, I'm gonna text him right now. <laughs> yeah um gary just sent a text out asking who's typing um i nobody's typing 
That is Indiana in April, and there's hail trying to come through the window in the office right now, just so you know. Oh, wow. I, I hear the wind, it's pouring, and it's hailing. So nobody's typing. It's just uh, Indiana. Welcome to paradise. Yeah, I heard Missouri was getting some hail as well tonight. So I was oh, like, it's wild. So in your, all of your escapades of, you know, before you became the guy at VMP, you were you kind of do the same – you did a look, the same thing that Kurt Johnson and, and Jimmy Bradshaw do now. And, you know, you take it a step further and you help run events. You know, that they need, you'll stay there for a week or two and, and make sure they're on the right foot. Um, what was the hardest track to turn around? Because, uh, because it, I mean, it wouldn't be slandering them because they knew it, you know. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it, that's – there's a lot of things that happen, like a buy run at nine and then losing at eight that, you know, you could just look at it and say, keep it simple, stupid. Like, yeah. quit. Yeah, at the end of the day. And stop spraying glue when it's 40 outside and it, there's no sun and, and just stop. Yeah, just yeah. – just, yep. Just because you spray you wrap, doesn't mean it's going to stick. Up, just hold up. <laughs> um, man, I have to tell you, there's there were two that were always tough that I look back on and I go, man, you know, you kind of batched that one. Um, the first one was a – it was a little track. I'll never forget this one. Uh, it was the last time I've been overseas. Um, it was a, it was a racetrack on an island. Um, the island was in the Mediterranean Sea. It was south of Italy on a little country called Malta. They had a quarter-mile drag strip there. Uh, they flew me over in – I think they messaged me on Facebook like 10 days. 10 days later, I was on an airplane. That airplane ticket was spicy. Everything <laughs> on that was rough. I mean, they literally were like, hey, look, you, we got to have somebody over here to help us. Race and, America timing system. Uh, no, they actually had – were they CompuLink? They wow. were their CompuLink or Portatree. I can't remember. Um, but I was like – I said the same thing. I'm like, oh, man, what am I going into here? Went over there, got off the plane. The guy that flew me over took me around the island. We were – he goes, all right, I'm going to take you around the island, show you the place, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, I, I'm here to go to the racetrack. Can we just go to the racetrack? It's all I want to do. Just go to the racetrack fix this thing. Let, let's get moving here. Um, within 30 minutes, he had taken me around the entire island. <laughs> I'd seen every piece of Malta, seen his, his uh, automotive shop, his race car shop, all the little places to eat, checked into the hotel and was at the racetrack in 30 minutes. So you can imagine how big this place is. I roll up and I'm like, man, this thing looks rough. Like not that like the rubber looks rough or anything like that. Um, they had already scraped it. I mean, like they, I sent them over a deal and they, to the T, we're, we're right on point. Get there, and I'm just like, man, something looks weird. So we start dragging the racetrack. Seems fine. After about 45 minutes, I said, all right, cool. Let's put a little bit of glue down. You know, normal deal. I'm doing my normal thing that I always do. As soon as I put glue on the racetrack and put the tractor back on it, all of a sudden this thing looks like a like white, white spotted mess. And it wasn't white. It was white because it was pulling the concrete apart. Ooh. Upon further review, this concrete was 38 years old. Um, it was that same concrete to the quarter mile uh, was like one of the only all concrete racetracks in Europe. So, I mean, I was like, hmm, this is kind of, you know, I'm in my mind, I'm like, this is going to be easy. Concrete, cool, good to go. Y'all scrape it. We'll come over and drag the crap <laughs> out of it. They had Hoosier, uh, I remember Frank Pat, uh, him and I were talking back and forth. They shipped over 15 or 20 treads. So I had fresh tires over there. I mean, I was good to go. Roll up and this racetrack starts banging apart like a bag of popcorn. And I'm like, oh, what do I do? So I, re- I remember I took a tire, I cut up the tire, took acetone and um, MEK, and I melted the tire, and I mopped this thing with this whole conglomeration that looked like liquid rubber to try and, like, build a 
I was trying to build a sheet on top of a racetrack. Is what I was trying to do to hold everything. In. Um, like flex seal. Yes, exactly. Flex sealed it. Exactly what I was trying to do. I was trying to flex seal a racetrack with a rubber tire. And I remember we got it done. It took probably I remember it took probably thirty hours to do it. We got all the way done. I'm like, all right, we'll see what happens. Uh, drag, start dragging the first one. Lays down, perfect. I mean, I'm like, man, this is not bad. I'm in a place where they don't speak a lick of English. I got one guy that can translate what I'm trying to say to these people. And they, the pizza is not what I thought it was going to be. It was still good. But <laughs> I'm like, I can't go anywhere. Like, it was rough. But I'm like, man, I, I just batched this thing together. We're going to be all right. Two hours later, we're still dragging. It stayed down. I'm like, yes, sir. We're in good shape. Threw some glue on it. Bang. Here comes the bag of popcorn again. That thing falls slam apart. So I look at this guy in the face. I'm like, hey, man, I know you flew me over here. I know how much money you'd spend. Um, you're just going to have to dig this thing up and start over. There's nothing more I can tell you. You're just going to have to dig up all the concrete that's here, put down new concrete, and um, that's really all I can tell you. I mean, what you've got here is just so old, it's just breaking apart. And um, so we, he flew me home. Uh, I f- actually flew straight to South Georgia. Daniel was racing at, at Donald's race uh, with the Lexus. This is one of the last times I went racing with him and, and all that. But I can remember the night before – uh, we left. I was talking on the phone with Tommy. Uh, Tommy and I were texting back and forth through WhatsApp. I remember I told him, I said, hey, man, I'm done. I said, I'm done with this traveling gig. I just had to tell him, man, you got to dig your racetrack up. Like, nah, I'm good. I got paid to fly across the world to look a man in the face and go, your racetrack's a bucket of old junk. You need to start over. And they did. I flew home. Um, I got home. My bags and everything got stranded in London. Um <laughs> It was horrible. I mean, it was a trip from hell. I'm not even going to lie about it. Um, seven days later, this guy sends me a message on Facebook. They are digging the racetrack up in Malta. 14 days later, they had concrete down. And then a month later, they had a, I think it was FIA or whatever. Uh, their, yeah, FIA. Yep. FIA deal. Um, they had top fuels coming. And I'm like, Whew. oh, boy. <laughs> and, uh, so they're like, so they wanted me to fly back. And I'm like, guys, I cannot come back. I'll send you a notebook. I mean, I've, I set up for two days and just typed up everything I could think of to give them any kind of notes just because I felt bad. I, I was like, guys, I feel horrible. I, I wanted to give them their money back. They wouldn't do it. And um, sent them this whole big three, four-page notebook. They called me right after the event. And they set the FIA world record for top fuel. I mean, they set like three or four national records in this deal. Um, brand new concrete first race out. So it, that was probably like the rags to riches story. Um, the hardest one in the – States was probably Albany, Georgia. Um, oh boy, that's a rough racetrack. Yeah, what do they call it? Uh, what do they call it? Man? Middle Georgia? No, it's a uh, US 19. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. US 19. I went down there to help a buddy of mine who was same thing. He was helping a guy. They called me. I went down there and helped them. And um, I can remember being on the tractor and I was thinking, man, this thing's not bad. I get to the 330 and it's the motocross whoop section. I mean, this Joker is. The whole way. You look like you're on a boat in the ocean. I'm like, oh, man, this is not cool. <laughs> and, um, first car rolls up. I'm thinking, all right, here we go. Grudge car on 28s, uh, G-body of all things, and this joker checks slam out. Comes running up to the start line, made its personal best. And I'm like, hmm, if only you knew. <laughs> 36 hours in a row dragging a racetrack, trying to get stuff <laughs> like back. It was white when we got there. And I'm like, what are we going to do with this? That I mean, it was one of those deals where the track crew just didn't know. And um, we did. Uh, Jimmy Owen and I rode, to, rode their tractor for 36 hours uh, in 
kind of just I would roll for eight hours, he'd roll for eight hours, and we burned up some tires and sprayed some glue. But it was like hmm. that, that was probably the one that everybody's like, man, that looked good. At the end of it, you're going, it didn't look that good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's another guy that silently doesn't get enough praise. Jimmy Owen is a very, very knowledgeable dude. I, I asked that question because Ryan was at a, uh event we were both working uh, before he took my job from me. All right. <laughs> I don't have that job anymore either, so it's okay. Yeah, he, he hasn't really been fired, but he just wasn't on the invite list. However, I was at South, or South Georgia at – Silver Dollar, yep. and now Silver Dollar has made huge improvements in their tractor game. Yes, um, they have. The, that the, OG tractor, though. Yeah, <laughs> we we had her we had her third gear as hard as she'd go, and you just have to play with the drag to keep it just enough to keep You're it right. going. Yeah. Yes, sir. Been there, done that. Yeah, and and I I did it during a bracket race, and you know I had come up and told said promoter, "Hey, this is probably the last round you're going to get out of this racetrack tonight." And race director said. What? They just broke out. Like, what? Uh, it's still good. It's good. It's good. The next pair down the racetrack is Lucas Walker foot breaking and absolutely annihilates the tire on the starting line. No way. Ryan, I, mean, I swear to God, Ryan was there. And and I just looked at him and said, maybe tomorrow. Yeah. And that was the last race I worked for him. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. True story. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, they – the track crew was like, well, we don't really know what to do to keep it around. And I, I had actually talked to Tyler. Yeah, and, and Tyler's like, man, spray it 100. Don't cut it. Don't cut it. Don't cut it. And Ryan was in the tower. And I said, hey, whenever you guys get this ready, please don't cut it. And race director found out that I asked him to not cut it. And I was told to worry about the effing microphone and anything on track goes through him. But he that went well. But he didn't want to drive the the tractor because the alcohol i don't know if you know this or not tyler the alcohol is what tax up the vht that's what that's what i was told learn something every day yep learned it from the goat lowercase goat <laughs> usually that's a tool to dilute trademark. the vht that's a trademark right? that's oh, a jake Hodge trademark lowercase goat no 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 that was on the, the that was on luke and jed's podcast it was God, on luke and jed's hilarious um, oh man! You but, got the all caps goat, which is yeah. much different than the lowercase goat. There's like the there's like the Bill Bader goat, and then there's like the Steve Queen goat. Okay, Ooh, there's, oh. there's two different ends of the goat spectrum here. Woo! But that's, anyway, that's yeah. anyway, entirely different things. Anyway, that's you know that that's a true story. And, and the minute that that I was told to worry about the microphone and the alcohol when you cut the VHT is what tax it up. I just smiled and nodded and said, yes, sir. Yep. And after that, it was shit. It, those, those are some of those moments where you just go, mm-hmm. yep. yes, sir. Jer- Jared Ledford in a 650 big tire door car turned immediately right. Mm. As soon as the sun went down at six cars for 50 grand. Oh, even worse. No, no, that was for 75 because we rained oh, out. That's that, right. 75 grand. Yeah, because – that was a interesting weekend all the way around for me. Hey, I'll tell you what, though. Around that part of the country, they have strip clubs in the side of gas stations, and I can get down with that. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> they also have one in the back of a Dollar General. I'm not kidding. That's true. <laughs> Warner Robbins. Is it back there in the stock room? Or is Warner it Robbins. Warner Robbins, the home of Motor Mania TV. They yep. do not 
Motor Mania does not, do not approve of no. no. Exactly. Let's be real clear. Mark would not like that. No. 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 So, so wait a second. So, so is this in the stock room at the Dollar General or is this? Man, like, I don't know, but I promise you, I, I had to turn around and go back because it was like Dollar General, strip club. Yeah. <laughs> Pun intended, no, it was the back door. Like, I wanted to walk in and just be like, so is everything a dollar? Or <laughs> I could not. I'm like, you know what? If I was not by myself, I would definitely turn around and try this. If that was a 24-hour session, I'd probably get my mail there. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was one of those days I would, like drove past going, what? Well, turn this thing around. Let me go see this again. Well, the way I looked at it, I drove past the beat down marathon sign like and this place looks like something off of cars you know in, in radiator springs before yes, they sir. redid the town and next to it has a dollar sign and then trippers i'm sitting there thinking <laughs> Tri- anything, anything that's next to that gas station is not good no. <laughs> okay and and you know i've been to establishments where i have seen well over the weight capacity of a pole try to get ripped out of the ceiling at the top of the pole <laughs> And I can only imagine what's inside of that gas station strip club. Oh, uh, you didn't, it was, you didn't it was stop. Where you're like, man, I wish I had somebody here to witness this because Absolutely. they're not going to believe this story. I did at the time when it was my girlfriend. So that's why ah, I didn't stop. Yeah, Cause I, I would give you a full rundown of how it was if she wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but places like that, when they start taking it off, you're like, take it off. Yeah. Wait, 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 put it back on, put it back on. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to give you money to put everything back on. Take it off. Here. I meant the lights. <laughs> Here's a sweater. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we, we dog on, on the old tractor at Silver Dollar, but, you know, they deserve a lot of credit for what they've done. You know, they oh, put yeah. up LED scoreboards. They put up – they bought a new tractor. We even tried to rent a tractor. We tried to find any tractor with turf tires anywhere. We, we were going to rent it. That you know, they're – yeah, oh, yeah. It, it lived a good life, and it deserved the yeah. death it got. You know, they've really stepped up their game. They poured a lot of money in there, and, and it's really a family that – didn't have a whole lot to do with drag racing out of New York, bought a little racetrack. And yep. Yeah. I went down. That was one of the last jobs I ever did. Was it silver dollar for that family? Um, Vincent Bonanno was down there. Uh, I think he actually still works there. Um, his Vincent's son, uh, Vincent jr. Is, is still yep. there. If I remember yep. right. It's, yep. it's him and his cousin. Yes. And, and awesome people. Um, Anthony work hard. So like you said, they, they've done a lot of improvements. I'm glad to see that for that facility. Really cool. Really historic place was one of the races uh that's kind of the place where jason ruckert and i met each other um old pooch we were working a uh working an event for mark samples um i actually just drove down to hang out i was actually working at holly springs at the time for jabbo and i drove down to kind of meet the racers and hang out for a little bit for a couple days and i drove back but that was where i met pooch and um i can remember it was in the shade it was 103 oh yeah (laughs) We called it the Hell Nationals. I mean, you cannot make this up. And uh, sun went down for Friday night qualifying. And when the sun went down, we were sending Radio Versa World at the time, uh, which was Outlaw Drag Radio. And this was in 2012. It's going like 14. Right. And um, it was, I think, as soon as we pulled them in the water, it was 92. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. Um, I mean, the worst conditions I've ever seen. Swamp ass. Oh, it was horrible. And um, Stevie Jackson was the first car down and went 452. And it was like the world stopped. I mean, like, we all looked at each other. And we're like, we don't know what we're doing, but that was badass. <laughs> <laughs> 
and and that was really like all that we did. I mean, it was at that time like four. I think the record was a forty-four when David Wolf had it, uh, forty-four maybe a thirty-nine something around in that area. But yeah, Jackson went fifty-two, and everybody was like, the world has stopped. Like this car just went four fifties, and it's a hundred and ninety-seven percent humidity, and like this is horrible. But that was that was one of those places where that's where I met Pooch and and Robert Rogers and and all that crew, and I, I mean a lot of history there for me, and a lot of history for a lot of racers. So Tyler, we've talked a lot about riding tractors and prepping tracks, but what uh, what's the biggest difference between prepping for like outlaw street cars and that type of stuff that you do versus the bracket racers uh, or in, and just maybe even what's the difference when, between putting on those events ah oh, man i'll be honest spectators spectators number one <laughs> um concession sales number two bracket racers like to bring their rvs with a big cooler and a big refrigerator with a lot of food outlaw street car guys are like can somebody make me a burger no <laughs> um that I'll be honest in the last three years of, of track prep, so to speak, I've really seen the bracket game have to be better than what it used to be. Um, I can remember when I was racing, you know, you prep once in the morning, once before first round and send it, you, you were good to go. You ran the whole night on that two, two track preps ran the whole night. Now. I mean, if you're not on top of it, you'll have, you know, you'll have a director go out and get loose on top end or, or anything I mean, at Loose Rocker, I'll be the first one to say it. One of the fastest cars there was dialed 412, I think. Lasseter. Uh, uh, yeah, Pro Charger Dragster. And it was like, I mean, he rolled up, and, I, and the first time that I saw it, I'm like, yep, mm-hmm, this is going to be the one. It goes like 169, yeah. yeah. Joker goes like 102, 60 foot. And I'm like, all right, we got somebody that uh, like can control some power and knows how to race this thing. And that Joker shot out of a cannon at 100 foot. Um, it was like a super comp, super comp car on nitro. Like I was like, what the heck happened there? Um, but it was one of those deals that I'm like, the racetrack's got to be killer out there. Um, and, and that's really changed the game for me as far as, um, I mean, guys driving the finish line, you, you've got to be good wall to wall now uh, with a racetrack. You, you can't just be good up the gut and, and hope that those guys keep it in the center because – I mean, face it, when you're looking around and, and trying to drive the stripe, you're not really paying the best of attention trying to keep it straight down the center of the racetrack. Yeah, and, and you can you can say no excessive braking until you're blue in the face. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Right. I could have thrown out about 97% of the foot brake cars at Loose Rocker uh, that, were, that ran. Uh, we were watching the finish line pretty hard at, at certain times just because of the weather. And it was like, we're not going to pick up a race car because of anything but – Tough braking. Like, I mean, excessive braking was fixing to fold a couple of cars up. There's nothing wrong with racing. It almost did. It did, yes. There were two that I was like, get the rollback, fixing to pick this one up. And, I mean, luckily the driver pulled out of it, but it was, wasn't was a track deal. Uh, I mean, the first thing I said, I yelled at my spotter at the 660, and I'm like, jump across, check the racetrack. Dude, it's fine. I'm like, there's no way it's fine. When you get down there, there's four black marks at 650 feet. I'm like, racetrack's fine. Keep sending me cars. But – um, that's really changed the game in my opinion is you've just got to be so much better on a racetrack for a bracket race than you used to be. And, and which it's kind of, it's tough on a racetrack, uh, or a promoter because now you're adding expense for a heads up pro mod, uh, drag radial style event like shakedown. I use that for example, just because I know the ins and outs of that, you know, we'll, we'll go through five and a half, six drums of glue from Wednesday to Saturday. You know, that's a lot of glue, and, and I'll be honest. I mean, we're most of the time we're either 100 percent or 80 percent, or you know, we're we're pretty stout on the mixture, so we're not really cutting it with a 150 drum, 150 dollar drum of methanol. 
um, that that is parlayed into you know a solid bracket race for four days. You're spraying five drums of glue to keep your racetrack solid, to keep it consistent. A lot of bracket racers forget that you know you yes, your car can be consistent all day long, but if the racetrack goes away in the late rounds, your car's gonna fall off. First thing they're gonna blame is the racetrack. I mean. I hate to be the one that's going to say that. Not the humidity that goes up 40%. Exactly. <laughs> and and that's – I've always tried to take that from being a racer. I, I've taken that to the to the track prep side for a bracket race going, you know what, if you keep the racetrack solid, the car's going to stay more solid. If, you know, you leave the racetrack alone for four rounds and humidity goes from 30% to 70%, that move's going to be even bigger because the racetrack's going away. Um, you know, if we can hold the racetrack into account – Maybe that creates a little bit better racing, creates a better, a whole better numbers game and all that for the bracket side. But just the fact of you've got to be so solid on a racetrack right now. The the starting line's the biggest difference between the two. Uh, the radial likes a dead hook, stick, drive off, um, kind of a hook. Uh, big Most big tires like a little bit of slip and go, um, especially for a pro mod, uh, top sportsman racer. They want to turn – First 20 foot of the run, they want some wheel speed, drive it off, but they want it better than they used to want it um, because they're figuring out how to run the race car harder up front. Um, now, I see 75% of bracket cars set up and running like a radial car. Stick the tire, drive off. I see that with dragsters more uh, than I used to. I see that more with a lot of door cars. Um, a lot of door cars have swapped over to the pro bracket radial, um, small tire stuff, uh, especially uh, bottom bolt cars that have been solid on that tire, but that tire is more, more not as forgiving on a, on a racetrack. So the racetrack is going to be, and it's like, Hmm, great. So now you've got to take a, a race that let's be honest, should use two and a half, three drums of glue. Um, now because of cars changing combinations, cars running big motors. I mean, my, I just put a five sixty five in my car that dynoed right at 1100 horsepower. No nitrous one sixteen, a simple freaking motor but it's over a thousand horsepower that's going in a 3,100 pound door car. Um, yes, it'll, it's a bracket car and it should hook in a car wash. But at the same time, there's going to be some guys that don't put in the time on a four link program that don't scale a car. Right. And you know, you're never going to have the perfect combination as far as the racetrack go, or as far as the race car goes. So you've got to overly compensate the racetrack to make somebody else's car look good. And I'm trying to say that some of these guys don't know how to adjust their shocks and struts and, Man, I didn't. <laughs> Time out. Let's just let's just let's just yeah dabble on that for a second. They came fifty um, fifty. I mean, that's got to be good. Ninety ten. I mean, like one ninety tens, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had sent my front shocks off of my wagon to Shane Swigert at competitive suspension, competitive suspension solutions, and I said, "Hey, man, just you know, rebuild those. You know, whatever you can do, just send them back. I probably need new springs." He calls me and he said, "Man, I got a package." He said, "There's no way these are from you." And I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, dude, he said, these things came over on the damn Mayflower. You know, and I mean, I've been running them since 2011. It, that's what my dad had on the car. It had big block springs in it still. It's got a small block in it. And he said, these were built 10 years before an adjustable or a rebuildable shock ever came out. He's like, you, you, do you want these back? I'm like, well, yeah, I'll hang them on the shelf, you know, just for yeah. bits and giggles. But, back you know, up. and that's like goes to show that it changes every freaking day. Like it there's like like Shane, he's from Pinsky Racing Shocks, and like what's what's nifty to them is Chinese to us, and what's you know basic like BS to them is like what what Mincer goes through. Like we think we think we yeah. send something to Mincer, and like they just 
put some fluid in it, send a seal in it, send it back. Like it's it's down to like the inch pounds, and it's crazy. But you know, it, there's a lot to be said for the new equipment available. You can rely on the racetrack all you want, but yep. that means you're at VMP every week. Yes. That means when VMP's closed, you're sitting in the garage. Exactly. You've got to be able problem. to set up a race car to go down any racetrack. And, and that's where that's where I think the the best names out there are the ones that can go down any racetrack. When it's 95 degrees outside or when it's 55 degrees outside. You truck down a racetrack, man, from point A to point B, that, that goes to show whether it's the guy that sets the car up, whether it's the driver that sets the car up, whatever it is, you know, that – that's the key in my opinion to making a car consistent. Um, what we do on the racetrack side is try to keep the racetrack consistent. Um, you know, the car can only be as consistent as it can be, but if you give them the race, the same racetrack every round, you're going to be pretty solid. And, and I, I've always had the the mindset of, you know, if as long as you do your job on a racetrack, people are going to come back. You go out and you've got a killer racetrack for first round, a buyback round, second round, third round. Then all of a sudden what the heck happens to this racetrack come, come fourth round when my director out there at the three thirty has got a wing on the back of it and I can feel it standing up and top feeling the tire, you know, half the guys are going to say racetracks jump. The other half of the guys are going to get back to the pits and look at the tires and go, do I need new tires? <laughs> and I just put new tires on three weeks ago. Like how did my dragster burn through these? But that's where we want to be able to take the racetrack out of that combination. Um, you know, we, if something like that happens, that needs to be a deal of, Hey man, somebody blew a line off a car and we couldn't, you know, missed it to racetrack. And you didn't know it. Uh, we didn't know it. You didn't know it. Nobody knew it. That that's in my opinion, that's the only time you should see any kind of down track issue on a racetrack. Well, it is anything like that. Um, if it's a, if it's a prep issue, when it's, when you're making a move that big of a move down a racetrack and it's a prep issue, you're on an unsafe surface. And that's one of those times where you just kind of have to be smarter and go, Hey, look, I'm going to put my stuff in the box this five grand I'm going to run for is not worth 15 to fix my R up or 30 or 40 or whatever. And you, you say that, and I've been down at a couple of racetracks that had just got fresh concrete, fresh polish, sometimes polished twice because it wasn't done right the first time. And I don't know, like your, your starting line crew is, is, I mean, you throw, if you, if you would throw Kyle Lang in there, like there's nobody better on the country in the country. But, I mean, how in the hell do you see oil on the racetrack when it all looks like a mirror? I don't get it. Like, like I did a burnout at, at said racetrack that maybe have got ground and polished twice in South Carolina, which is nobody's fault. But, anyway, I did a burnout. I'm backing up. I'm thinking it's, like, 9 o'clock in the morning. It's 48 degrees. And I can see my reflection. And I'm like, this is not going to be good. And I'm going 430 in a Pro Charger car. Yep. And backing it up and like the guys that own the car are in Canada, so they're not going to tell me to park it. So I'm just going to send it anyway. And it's crazy to to look at a racetrack that looks like literal. I mean, it looks like there's water on it because it's that slick, it's that smooth, and it go like right down through there. Like that's one of the moments I went going down the racetrack. Like, all right, it's going to like break the tire loose any time, and it's stuck to like the quarter mile, and like you're, it's slowing itself down. And like I don't know like how long it takes for the trained eye to be able to see oil in that, but I, it'll never be me. Yeah. It's, it all looks like oil. Oh, it's rough. <laughs> I, I'll say the, the guys on the starting line at VMP that I've been extremely there for a good minute, extremely blessed. Those guys have been there um, a long time. Uh, I think there's been the same starting line crew there for at least the last four to five years. Um, 
I know we've picked up a couple of good pieces that are that love the sport and, and really care about us and the racetrack and, and all that. So we're really powering that. But I, I'll agree with you. If you don't see it past 60 feet, you better be watching the race car and hope you see a mist come off of it because it is hard to tell. And then you go down through there on a the scooter and lay it down and break three ribs. But <laughs> well, is there a story there? I might have been there, done that. I didn't hear that. I didn't do it. <laughs> Jason Miller did, though. <laughs> Good friends with Jason. I actually talked to him the other day, but he was working an event at, at Texas, uh, Texas 2K. He was working that event, I think, in 18 and um, rolled down the racetrack on a oh, scooter. It, it went viral. Yeah. And down he went. He was in the hospital that night, was back the next day to, to finish the race with him. But, yeah, he broke three or four ribs off of that deal. Um, I was the one that knocked the front tire off the – that had the front tire come off the tractor at Bowling Green and the <laughs> caught me in the gut and I broke a rib. <laughs> that was my that was my rib crushing story. Uh, the, the old tractor at Bowling Green went from about 13 to zero real quick. Uh, <laughs> and my rib cage caught the steering wheel and made sure it stayed on. I could see Dallas going, what the – what happened? No, nah, it was one of those deals. Well, well damn, son. What happened yeah. there? <laughs> And I'm over there going, Dallas, we got radio versus the world in the lanes. I need distractor fixed. <laughs> oh, so, so, Tyler, so, so, Tyler, what, what about uh, – what? You, you've been a bracket racer and outlaw racer, and now you're managing tracks and series and things of that nature. So, what's the hardest part of being on the other side of the coin? We've talked a little bit about trying to satisfy racers, but what is the toughest part of putting on, putting on races or series? Um, people. People, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. It is. The hardest part is people. And I'm going to be honest, it's in three different folds. The first part's the people you have working for you. If you don't have people that work for you that believe in what you're doing, uh, you may as well just put a lock on the gate, go home. Um, if you don't have a team that's around you, that's you're pissing in the wind. It doesn't matter. It don't matter how good you are. You're not going to be good enough to flip the switch, type in the numbers in the keyboard, talk on the microphone, check it at the eighth mile when you think a hose blew off of it, and keep a pace going for a race that's good enough. Um, so that, that's my number one deal is having people surround you. That's, that's solid. Um, VMP, luckily I've, I've got one of the best staffs on the country, um, getting better every week. And then with PDRA, um, that's an all-star cast that is continually getting better and better. The racers, uh, is the second fold of that, in my opinion. Um, you know, at, yes, you're trying to sell tickets. Uh, I mean, at, at the end of the day, that's every promoter's dream. You want 10,000 people in the grandstands every week. You want badass cars on the racetrack, and you want a team that's that's hustling and getting it done. The racers are your second because if if they have their stuff together, you're, the show that you're trying to put together is as good as can be. Um, they all have diapers on the race cars. If they go out and chunk a rod out of one, you have a minimal cleanup, you're right back to racing. That makes that fan experience better. Um, you know, if they all have their stuff together on the tuning side, that you got side by side racing. I mean, the ball rolls on down the on down the line for that thirds to the fans uh, of course you want a, a product that you can give the fans without a solid team and good racers you don't have a good product so that's kind of the way that i've always done it is, is you first want to build your team that's around you secondly you want to build your racer base before you try to sell a product to, a, to the general public then on the general public side you got to give the the fans something to do um let's be honest people like us we'll go buy a ticket find a spot in grandstands um, I got to go eat and go to the bathroom and I'm going to come right back to my seat. And I'm going to watch the rest of the race until I got to eat and go to the bathroom again. And that's just kind of the way we are. Uh, the diehards are, as I call them, that's the diehard fan. They're, they're going to be in the grandstands. They're going to be on the fence, whatever that is. 
Um, you got to find something for the immediate fan. Um, the guy that wants to show up and watch Pro Nitrous and Pro Boost, uh, maybe 800-inch Mountain Motor Pro Stock, but they don't give a rat's ass about anything else that's going down the racetrack. But they want to see Pro Nitrous, Pro Boost. They want to see the fast stuff. They're, they're there to watch the fast cars. You know, you got to find something that is that catches their attention. Um, to me, if I was that fan and I'm in the pits, I want to see Jay Cox ripping the heads off of a car, shoving piston in it, or – somebody else running over there making fun of Jay doing that because he's got Jay the next round or whatever. You know, I, I like that side of it. Um, but to that common fan, they don't. That They could, they don't have a rat's tail what's going on. They just know that this guy just ripped some part off the engine and I hope it starts when he puts it back up because I thought he was fast last round. Um, one thing that we've done at VMP, uh, we did it at Shakedown, was we had this, um, had a, a no-limit karting company come in. Um, they set up a go-kart track in the pits and – uh, fans could walk up, pay, I think it was five bucks. Um, they got to race go-karts and they raced go-karts during downtime, during classes they didn't really care to watch, um, anything like that. Um, other events, we've done sound competitions, um, bikini contests, Daisy Duke contests, anything like that. Come on. Yes. Yeah, um, that's where my redneck side comes out just a little bit. Um, Can't wait for mud wrestling. Yeah, that's next. That's <laughs> at the mud bog, actually. Um, that's the glory of VMP. You actually have a mud park in the back. But that's been my goal now at PDRA, I'll be honest, that's, that's my PDRA goal for this year is figure out what do we do to increase fan involvement, increase fan awareness, and also increase the fan experience. Um, I feel like between the walls, we have the best team and the best racers on the planet. Outside of that, we've got to build that fan experience. We, we have to make that to where a fan says, man, I got to go to PDRA, not because they have awesome racing, but because at 2 o'clock they have a sound competition. At 2.30 they're live on Facebook congratulating them on qualifiers, throwing out free t-shirts to an autograph session at four o'clock, first rounds up, you know, back and forth all day long. You're between, it sounds bad, but you're almost like a circus. You're, you run a completely professional show in between the walls and in between the grandstands. But outside of that, you put on an entertainment value, you know, let's say you got an oil down, but you've got pro nitrous sitting in the water. You know, who's to say you're not out there with a cordless microphone, sticking it in the, in the door of Tommy Franklin going, Tommy, what are you going to do to Jay Cox is sitting right beside you? And, and even if it's a five-minute back and forth between the drivers that are in the car sitting in the water box, you know, somebody somewhere is going, man, that's that's fun right there. That That's exciting. And, and that's where that's where we've got to get better. I, I'll be – that's my main number one concern when we do start back racing with PDRA is how do we make the experience for the fan better because we're really trying to build that – when you pull in the door, you want to have a great experience, but you also want to return. We want that return customer because when that return customer comes back, he's not coming back by himself. Right. He's going to bring a he's going to bring a friend, or the kid, or the son or daughter that came to the racetrack is going to bring a friend with them, et cetera, et cetera. So that that ball to me is all in the people. Um, like I said, team racers and fans in that order. You, you can't take the VFW that's in Dinwiddie and, and bring it to the racetrack. Cause that's, I, I had, I had a long night in there one night at the Turkey race. Um, <laughs> uh, it was bingo night actually. And sure. I think I got asked to leave because I wasn't playing bingo, but I kept yelling bingo. Apparently that's <laughs> frowned upon. Um, but yeah, you're right. Hey, you got Ryan, have you seen a trend here? Jake gets asked to leave racetracks oh, wow. and, Announcer no, job. It's no, and now no, we go no. at the VFW it's hall. Just him. <laughs> Normally, it's not an option. Okay, we've learned so asked. much about Jake in the last seven episodes. <laughs> it's not so much asked. It's like, uh, hey, just go ahead and uh, lock the gate behind you. Okay, um, but you're right. You got to outsource that entertainment. It's all about 
people want to say, oh, yeah, we just want to put on a good show. The, the power company doesn't care how good of a show you put on, you know, in all reality. And that's, that's where I think you guys do a great job of, yeah, you want Ringling Brothers Ringling Brother Circus style of, uh, attraction, but you're not going to pay for that. That's, that's retarded. That's not what we're there for. Before we wrap things up, I've got one more question. What's the hardest uh, to choke back laughter complaint you've ever heard? Because I know you've got it probably somewhere in your head, but where, you, where somebody was dead serious, came up and was complaining about something and you tried to laugh, tried to not laugh in their face, maybe you even did. Best one I've probably ever had was, um, and, and this one actually happened last year. Uh, I'll be honest, it happened in Virginia. Um, had a guy come up. Had his time slip. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> it's like yep. bowling green all over again. I did. <laughs> the first thing I said was, like, damn it, here we go again. Like, there's something gonna be wrong with the timing system. Of course, it's not the, the you know, it's always a timing system. It's timing system or racetrack, right, either right. both. All right, let's let's be honest. Um, guy came up, really cool dude. Um, just as calm as could be. Said, um, yeah, can I speak with Tyler? And the girl that was at the back seat came and got me, and I, I came around the corner. And I'm um, saying, hey, man, how can I help you? And he goes, yeah, um, I, I'd really like if you look at my time slip. All right, cool. So I look at his time slip. He is 002 red, um, dead on with a six or something like that. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, looks like you were a little bit early. Um, I mean, we all have that problem. <laughs> uh, roll a couple numbers in the box, and I mean, man, you'll be cool. I mean, you got to buy a background. You, you'll be in good shape. And um, this man is serious as a heart attack. Look at me in his face. He goes, son, I've been racing for probably 35 years. And when he said probably 35 years, that was the first chuckle. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, first off, we don't know how long we've been racing. So, all right, this will be good. And he goes, I know when I turn loose of that button that I was not 002 red. I might've been 001, but I was not double <laughs> And look, it was one of those deals when I said, you know what? Somebody's screwing with me. That was one of those deals where I'm like, yep. Looking for Ashton Kutcher. This is one <laughs> yeah. of those deals where that guy's sitting in the come around the corner with the camera going to be like, yep, gotcha. No, this guy was dead serious. Went and got his time slips from the time trial and another racetrack. And he goes, look here, son. He goes, this was my time trial. And I'm like, yeah, the 60 foot is off one ten thousandths. And every other number's the same. Like the miles per hour was the same. It went 103.73. I remember it to this day. And I'm like, <laughs> Buddy, I don't know how much to help you here. And um, I was like, well, and he was just adamant. There's something wrong with the timing system or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, um, man, I just don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, and, and I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to be the good Samaritan here, and, and I'm going to go do the good thing, and I'm going to take the money out of my pocket, and I'm going to buy you back in. Because if you think there's something wrong, I, I don't want you to, to waste your money on it, and I'm going to go buy you back in out of my pocket. And, y'all, I am dead serious. He pulls up for second round, and this joker is 002 red, and on with a six. <laughs> he comes back to the tower with his time slip, and he goes, well, I guess it can happen. And he walks <laughs> I was like, son of a gun, I'm out 60 bucks. Like, that, comes dude, that dude played you like a fiddle. He did. <laughs> but I was like, this is hilarious. But when he said, all, all, I've been racing for, all mo for almost 35 years. I'm like, hmm, okay. He don't know how long you've been racing, but give him benefit of that. Whatever. Yeah. That was probably oh, that was one of my favorites. So, like the mid, the like the first thing that came to mind was my first response would have been, "Have you tried flickering the stage bulb? Because if you've been racing for thirty five years, you're dumping it in." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Oh yeah. There's no bumping <laughs> it. We just rolled off in there, in, buddy. 
It's like it's like a no box motorcycle on the popper in the pre stage beam. Okay. <laughs> no, it's like this the guy with the Kubota lawnmower that just put the bump box on it. Right. Um, and I know that you know the the thirty five years kind of brought it up. Um, you have seen fifty years worth of drag racing in twenty seven years, right? You're twenty seven yeah, now. 27. That's a thing that a lot of people I think don't realize um, because you know you you've got all of the world on your shoulders, and sometimes you do look thirty five, and that's okay. But twenty seven and and being in charge of one of the top racetracks in the country, and not because you knew somebody, you you build a brand to get there. You became a household name before you realized it, I think. And and the minute like the minute the guy from Malt, where was it? The the island, oh, Malta, the island. Yeah, that yeah. Was the good. minute that guy called you and said he dug his racetrack up because you said to at probably twenty four. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah, I was twenty five at the time. On that. It's like it's one of those things that you sit back and like, wow, you know, holy, holy hell, this is and, scary. You're right. It was. And, I, it was. It was. I was like, you know, this is scary. People actually trust what I'm going to say. And and I'm sh- and I'm sure there were times it was hard being that age and being all over the world and wanting to go do things, and you know, you stuck to it. And I think that's pretty badass. Um, but we don't end these that way. If you were a Hornet in the drag racing industry, who are you stinging? I've been waiting for this all fucking day. I already know the answer. <laughs> I already know the answer. Oh, you know the answer. You I know. Don't, so be quiet. Let him go. Um, if I'm a Hornet in the industry and um, I was anywhere on the planet and I got to sting one person, it'd be Donald Long. <laughs> Why is hey, that? Buddy, let me tell you. I've been around. Well, this was going to be eight years for, uh, for Outlaw Street Car Union been an eight-year thorn in my side but let me tell you something it's been probably a really fu- it's probably one of the best rivalries i've ever had in my life it's it's friendly i mean we have a good time with it um but there's been some times that i've been ready to drive to zephyr hills florida and knock him slam on his back and i'm sure he's been ready to drive to tennessee or virginia and get on mine as well but i can tell you if i got if that was my one sting i would wear that joker out one good time i can tell you that much. <laughs> right in the eyeball I know, right between the two or something. Not, I want to go somewhere where he's going to feel it. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to find somewhere there's a little bit of bone, okay? You got- exactly. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of BS to dig through to get to that. <laughs> and, you know, he's going to have them big glasses on up here. So, like, they're going to be here. The hat's going to be out to the side. You can't go the fur in his coat. big fur coat. going to be around the fur coat. You're probably on his big toe or something like that. But, I mean, it'll work. It'll take him down. So, I can tell you that much. So, um and my last thing to you is if you reschedule any of these PDRA races, August 28th through the 30th, I will drive to Virginia and we're throwing down somewhere, whatever building you're in, because I have Kyle Lang that weekend and you don't. You can have Kyle that weekend. And Dwayne. We are definitely kind of beating our head off the wall on what we're going to do. Oh, I'm sure. Stuff and yeah, and all that. But um, that's one of those deals that we're really trying to stay true to what we've got. Um, we don't want to be that guy. I'll be honest. Um, I've had that that guy dealt to me already. Yeah, yeah, um, we, I saw that. Uh, I don't know who it was, but I, yeah. I was hoping that was going to be your second Hornets thing. But it's okay. Yeah, that was the second one. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've we put our schedule out. We've got eight races. Um, we try to stay to that. Uh, we we've got a couple of scenarios that if we get the May race in Virginia off, cool. We'll we'll do what we need to do. Um, we'll make it happen for to get Galat back. You know, if we if we don't get Virginia. You know, we, we've made the option of, you know, do we go to a six-race series? Um, because let's face it, if you're off 
if we're all out of work, we're all tough on money. Um, we all haven't got to go race or anything like that. And you try to stick eight races in less than five months, you know, somebody's going to blow up something. Let's be honest. Somebody's going to blow something up. Somebody's going to have to spend money that they don't need to see uh, or that they don't need to spend. And then it's going to become a, do I need to do this? Do I have to do this? And at the end of the day, that's going to hurt the series. Uh, you hurt a series in a, in a year like this, you know, you could see a lot of people fall off the map um, as promoters, as racetracks and as series. And during this, my, my motto is, has changed for this year um, coming off of a, a very successful 2019 from Virginia Motorsports side and on PDRA. I was definitely rolling into 2020 with my Mark McGuire Louisville slugger, and I was ready to play offense. I was going to be aggressive on all walks of this thing. I, I felt like we were on a good good note to roll in on both series, both entities to, to roll in and make some noise. Um, now I'm, I'm now a, a hockey goalie is what I've kind of told people. I'm now playing complete defense, not going to jump the gun on, on high-risk events, don't want to jump the gun on reschedules. I mean, we all have to make money. Let, let's all be honest here. Um, yep. Promoters have to make money to, to keep doing this. Uh, racetracks have to keep make, make money to keep the gate open, and series have to do the same. But at the at the same time, why roll in there with a with a bait, with ready to go, and you've got a hundred fifty thousand dollar budget, and you're two weeks coming off this thing? You know that that's just you kind of want to look at yourself. And go, what the heck are you doing? You, you're rolling into gunfire. And you're rolling into gunfire with no gun and no armor. So I, I've changed my mindset for this year over to a defensive mindset. Um, I really want a lot of people to think about that. Uh, we've already been scheduled on twice for PDRA, and it's with pro mod events that are less than three to four hours away from where our events are. Fighting over the same customer base. Let's face it, pro mods are not cheap to run. Uh, top sportsman cars, top dragster cars are not cheap to run. And we're all going to be fighting for the same customer base. And it's all because of the ego. I mean, let, let's be honest. Everybody wants to have the race. Everybody wants to have the number. We all have to keep that in mind, especially this year, because if you want to play the ego card on a year like this, where it is going to be so reliant upon cars in the pits, um, fans in the grandstands, that's going to be the biggest rely, reliability point this season. Um, and it's on the hardest, hardest year I've ever seen uh, as far as the economy goes um, in my lifetime. So that's my advice for the night, I guess you would say. For the drag racing world in 2020, let's play defense. Let's not play offense. Well, good, to... good year to have two millions, baby. Yep, I guess. <laughs> but Tyler, as we wrap up and let you go, bud, we appreciate yeah. all your time. But one thing I haven't mentioned is that uh, you VMP did win the 2019 Drag Champ Track of the Year contest. Yes, sir. I promise you a trophy. Uh, we, we congratulate you guys on the win, by the way. <laughs> Um, yeah, your your fans and racers really pitched in and voted on you guys and, and pushed you through the win. So I did see the preliminary design on the trophy this week. So it is in motion and we're, we're rolling along. I'm not sure, exactly sure when you will have it in your hands, but uh, I think it's going to be really cool. So just want to let you know we haven't forgot about the trophy and we're trying to get something really cool put together for you guys and send up to you. Yeah, well, we appreciate it. Um, man, that was, that was really neat. We um, it, it was kind of a cool year for VMP. We were you know, we were voted on that deal uh, for track of the year through Jack Tramp. And then we were also voted as the PDRA track of the year. So, oh, nice. so twice in 2019, we were voted upon for a track of the year award. So that those just mean more to me um, because that's your, that's your customer base that's voting for you. Um, yeah. That means you're, you're doing something right to your customer base and other people in the industry. Yeah. Great hey, deal, just, man. just remember, you want a record, you can just change the rules. Fact. <laughs> <Yep>. Fleet <laughs> breaks. Hashtag. 
Yeah. Hashtag weight breaks. But look, all they're all closer together because we took the same amount of weight off of, off of all. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, Tyler. We appreciate you, man. Yep. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Jake. Y'all have a good night. Right, See you, buddy. Too, man. All right, guys. The baddest dude in drag racing management right there. Oh, yeah. He's 27. He's, he's Ryan and I's age. Like, yeah, he's a year older than both of us. Does that make you feel like uh, less, less of a oh, man? Oh, I feel like a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, look what we're doing with our lives. Like, yeah. like He's running race series and, and a world-renowned uh, traveler for his racetrack prepping skills, and you guys are bouncing around yeah, announcing races. I, I will say, that dude works his dick in the dirt. I mean <laughs> – He's like we got to watch him at VMP on Drag Week like you talked about early early in the episode. That dude worked on that racetrack all day, all night, and that's no exaggeration. I don't know if he even got, went to sleep. Well, yeah. well, he we talked about that, and you know, and I and his and he mentioned his dad passing a cancer, and and I think it's just one of those places for him to go, you know. And I think that that job came about at the perfect time, you know. I, I know that he was over bouncing around everywhere and going to this racetrack, you know, three to three different racetracks in a week. And we had talked about, you know, like, dude, don't you like the tractor seats probably worn out. And he's like, man, that's, that's my place. You know, that's, that's where I go whenever I need to, you know, you know, take a load off. I need to just get away from everything. I shut the door in the tractor, turn the music up. And he said, it's just me. He said, I, that's what I need. And, and sometimes, you know, that's what it takes. And it's working. I, I can't. Yep. I can't say he's wrong because I mean, you know, it is what it is. But uh, you better watch out. The ADRL's coming back. You know, oh yeah, free yeah. entry fee, free spectators. But you got to pay to park. Yep. And something five hundred to test. Oh yeah. And something we didn't get into. We didn't even get to talk about Paul Cartwright, who I think was a huge influence on Tyler. Uh, and if you ever get to talk to Paul, and if you've ever had a conversation with him, he is insanely proud of that kid. So. Uh, it should be. It looks like he's oh, yeah. and uh, just Paul's on top a, of the world, man. And Paul's great. He ran Memphis for many years. He's part of Holly Springs. He still goes to Holly Springs and works for like nothing just to get out of the house. And he's still, I believe, at all the PDRA events with Tyler. And I think just, just watching that deal from as short a time I've known Paul and known Tyler, it's pretty neat just to watch Paul kind of sit back like, yeah, like this is really cool. And and you can be that guy and, and like – Tyler has brought many people in and taught them the correct way to do things. And like Kyle Lang is a perfect example. Kyle was good at what he did, but you know, for the first few years, he was just a mop holder. Um, Turn around now, Kyle can prep a racetrack like Tyler Crossnell if, if if he's allowed to. And a lot of guys can just say, kiss my ass. You know, I've worked, I've worked for that information. It's on you. I'll figure it out. And like Tyler didn't know me from Adam really, whenever I asked him to help me with the deal at silver dollar, I said, man, I said, I know, like, I'll pay you for the information or whatever. He's like, no, no, no. He said, just don't let anybody get hurt. Make sure they go A to B. He said, just whatever you do, if it's not safe, pull the plug. And I I tried, and it didn't work. But, you know, he could have easily been that guy that said, ah, nah, I've worked for that. You know, that's my information. It's my notebook. I I don't want to really tell you any of it. But you're right in the fact that, you know, Paul was a major influence on him. And I wanted to know, like, when that switch flipped for him, like when he was like in the water box thinking, well, I think that job looks more interesting than sitting in this race car right now because it's a, there's, it's a cool job with a lot of facets to it, but it's cool for about three hours, yeah. you know, 
hour four, you're like, oh, we're still in time yeah. trials. Yeah, and then you've been there for 18 hours, and you're like, oh, my God. Now i got to scrape this motherfucker? And, and you're chafing. Yeah. Oh, and you're chafing. yeah. And you're chafing. <laughs> Two episodes in a row, we got the chafing going on. Yep. Boudreaux's butt paste. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lifesaver in Under Armour underwear. There you go. Well, let's end it on there, guys. Another great week, uh, another great episode, and uh, Tyler was an uh, awesome guest. So we will uh, do it again next week. Wash your ass. <laughs> Wash your hands. Yep. Stop right, touching guys. people. Keep your hands to yourself. Stay home unlike what I did. Yeah, traveling on the road. I'll, s- I'll see you there. <laughs> Peace out. See ya. Bye, guys.